Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Let's launch into the spring tour. It's go time, spring football. What do you know? Utes, Cougars, we've got your opponents coming up this morning. Minnesota, Michigan State, Stanford. Let's start with Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press covering Michigan State football. Mild Tucker's departure out of uh, Boulder was not received well. How was his arrival received at Michigan State? It's. I think it's interesting because I think Michigan State wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, you know, from the fan base side, I mean, they, they went really hard at hard press after Luke Fickle, um, and everyone thought there was a done deal. And you know, whether it was an eleventh hour back out or whether there was uh, never any real validity to it, uh, still kind of up in the air. But uh, you know, it, 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 at the moment, it was like. Well, geez, they whiffed after D'Antonio retired. They went and overpaid for Mel Tucker. But once people started to do a little background on Tucker, once I think the Colorado fan base's reaction and the venom and vitriol, because I think he built some real good will there in his one year, and I think there was a general uh, sense of excitement for where Colorado football might get, um, there's no question that I think that, that he's got a pedigree from the NFL and, the, and he's a bit of a fast riser within the – the college coaching community. So um, I think that they, they've gone about this. I mean, because especially when D'Antonio retires February 4th, you know, a day before the the final signing day period, open, signing period opens, um, after the coaches' clinics and conventions and everything, and most of the jobs have been filled, uh, that was Michigan State in a real bad spot. And I think that not only have they done a good job in bringing in Tucker after missing on Fickle, I think Tucker's picked up the ball and, and really built some momentum for this program for Michigan State that had been stagnant the last few years under D'Antonio. So momentum's great. Returning quarterbacks are better, but uh, the starter's <laughs> off to the NFL. So what is this? The quarterback race just wide open now? <laughs> I think everything's wide open right now. That's the funny thing is they were getting ready to start spring practice uh, the week after the, everything got canceled. So Mel Tucker hasn't even had this team out in the field yet to, to kind of give it an evaluation. Um, I, I think it's going to be, and he was still at that point finalizing and finishing his coaching staff up until right before I think they were supposed to start March 16th or 17th. Uh, but obviously everything got shut down right before that. So he hasn't had a chance to see guys throw yet. I mean, they've got a, a returner in, in Rocky Lombardi, who's the backup last two years, uh, had some starting experience when Brian Lewerke was was injured two years ago, uh, but has really struggled to, with his consistency. They have two young guys that they like in Peyton Thorne, who's a kid from from Illinois, who's a true freshman who redshirted last year, and uh, Theo Day, who was a redshirt freshman last year from from locally in, in Detroit area, uh, who had about six snaps uh, and was yanked from one game. So, not much backup experience beyond Rocky Lombardi, uh, who is the 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 returner with some experience, but. Certainly, they need to, they need to find the guy to replace the work because he was really uh, the the one that made that offense move when it did move, and it really wasn't moving a lot the last couple of years. 
But I look at the other skill positions, uh, Elijah Collins at running back, uh, pretty good. Uh, you've got uh, Naylor and Barnett and receivers, uh, Kenny Morgan, six foot six. So it looks like uh, receivers and running back, they should be pretty good. Well, Barnett's going to be an interesting case because uh, he played offense last year when they were in such a dire need of of having some explosive plays uh, when they went to that no-huddle approach under D'Antonio and and spread attack for really the first time. And Barnett's going to more than likely end up on the defensive side of the ball. He was brought in as a four-star cornerback. So um, could he play both ways? Possibly. Uh, Depends on some of the other guys that – that could be game breakers. I think that the name to watch is Jaden Reed, who uh, transferred from Western Michigan and sat out last year. He was a freshman All-American at Western Michigan, also a high school teammate of Peyton Thorne, the, the young quarterback. So, so I think that's an interesting guy to watch. But Collins, I thought, really seized the, the running back job last year. Uh, uh, two games into the season and forced a couple guys to leave the program, one of whom is Connor Hayward, who's back. He actually entered the transfer portal, but the portal stayed put in East Lansing, and he's going to be back. So that gives him some veteran depth at running back. He, he's also a guy that can flank out. Um, you know, they, They've got a lot of offensive linemen returning, but also a lot of guys who have been significantly injured. Um, and have histories of injuries now that have really curtailed what the offense has been able to do with with uh, the past two years when when they had a quarterback in Brian Lewerke who who had some talent but but really struggled with accuracy and struggled to to stay in the pocket because the the offensive line continually broke down. I mean, you go back and look. I think it's you know maybe. Over the course of 26 games over the last two years, I don't think there was more than maybe two or three games uh, where the same offensive line was trotted out back-to-back games. So uh, if they're, they've, they've got some talent up front, but if they have to keep them on the field together, that's a key for this team right now with an inexperienced quarterback. So you look at the defensive line, and that was that was senior laden, and three of the four guys off yeah. to the NFL. Only one drafted; the others on free agent contracts. But the point is, the holding line has to rebuild. How are they going to be versus the run? It's a good question. Um, you know, because they had some guys in in Raquan Williams and Mike Panashuk and Kenny Willickis who really elevated that defense to to being the top run-stopping defense in the country two years ago. And three years ago, they were top ten. And, they, you know, I think they were, they were up there last year but had some drop-off with having to play significant more snaps with, with some of the offensive deficiencies. Um, they've got some youth. I think that Jacob Panashuk is a guy who comes back at defensive end, uh, and I believe he's the only returning starter in the front four. Uh, but they got guys like Naquan... Jones, uh, who played a lot of football in the middle. They got some young guys that they like there. Um, and, and some Deshaun Mallory, who I think was a redshirt freshman last year, and Jalen Hunt, who was a true freshman who didn't play. They like those two guys. So they got depth in the middle. Uh, generating a pass rush from the edge with, with, that they lose with Kenny Willick is going to be a, a real challenge. Um, that's where some of the younger guys may have to step in. And, you know, a guy like uh, Michael Fletcher, who's a true freshman, they really like him. He didn't play last year. Uh, so he's going to be a redshirt freshman this fall. Got some size, got some power and shock to him. And then at linebackers, they've got some – they lose really two, two-thirds of their starters with Joe Bocci and Tyreek Thompson. 
Antoine Simmons is a guy who's who's shown the ability to make some pressure from the edge uh, at the star linebacker position. It's kind of in limbo as well where he'll be. I mean, they, they played him some in the middle last year uh, after Bocce got suspended. Uh, they they can move him to the strong side if they they need to. So that but there wasn't a lot of depth. Uh, there wasn't a lot of snaps for the depth guys a year ago. A guy like Noah Harvey's probably the the other returning starter. He started at the end of the year towards the bowl game. So there's certainly some some holes to fill uh, in that front seven for Michigan State after having such a good run those last couple of years under D'Antonio. Well, I can make the same case that as far as the corners and safeties, I think there's only one starter each at both positions returning. So there's going to be a lot of new faces in terms of starters there too, right? Yeah, Shakur Brown, who started at the end of the year, uh, comes back at cornerback. And Xavier Henderson, who took over the starting job a year ago at strong safety, is back. But yeah, they lose... Uh, Josiah Scott to the NFL a year early. Um, they, they, who, uh, you know, I think he ended up being a fourth round pick. Uh, that's going to be a big loss at cornerback. That's where I think maybe uh, Julian Barnett will shift over from receiver and and be a force there. They've got some other guys that they like. Um, then they lose David Dowell, who's a three year starter at, at at free safety. They've got a couple guys in the mix for that job, including his brother, his younger brother. Michael, so um, there, there's depth. I think that, that there's there's guys like like a Dominique Long, and, who was a special team star, but but might finally get on the field at safety a little bit, um, or or a uh, uh, couple other guys that, that have played the last few years in a backup capacity, but um, not necessarily the the veteran starters that they they were getting accustomed to the last few years. It's going to be going to be a different deal because this is a team that that relied on its defense the last couple of years in D'Antonio's era and um, you know the defense played a lot of football but the starters played a lot of football because many of those games were were closer that they needed to to be on the field so these are guys that have been in the program but really haven't had a lot of taste of, of exposure and experience. Chris Solari joining us, Michigan State football writer for the Detroit, Detroit Free Press, part of our spring football tour. BYU set to host Michigan State in the second game, Saturday, September 12. So when you put all of this together, it sounds like there is a lot of work to do, and the Michigan State would be pretty vulnerable early in the year, but also that hopes ought to be pretty tempered for the season as a whole. Am I right? Yeah, I think that, you know, and Mark Antonio talked about this not you know towards the end of his tenure and i believe even in his retirement press conference the baseline for this program that he is handing off to mel tucker is, is to get to a bowl game um i think that's the the minimum i mean this is a program that that really didn't have that consistency in making the postseason up until d'antonio took over and then in 12 of his 13 seasons he took them to a bowl game i mean that's that's remarkable in the history of Michigan State football. It's been a, that's a strong football history when you think about it. The national championships that they've won, it, you know, all of that. But but you know, in the bowl era, really, I think probably from from seventy on, um, you know, once the Big Ten opened up the doors to to more than just one team going to the postseason, uh, you, you didn't really see Michigan State in the mix for postseason games consistently. Um, but that's a different. That, that's the difference between where D'Antonio took over and where he left it. Mel Tucker, I think, is going to be. He, he's he's got that baseline. 
He's got to get the six wins. Uh, but, you know, a lot of it is going to be learning new pieces on the fly. I mean, because who knows when they're going to be able to get to start practicing. That'll be the first chance he gets to see these guys. So um, they're already behind the eight ball with when D'Antonio resigned. They, they, made, they made quick movement to get Tucker, but not quick enough to get them out in the field for spring practice even for for one snap. So, um, you know, everybody's expectations are a little bit uh, 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 tempered here in East Lansing as well as around the country, but especially with Tucker and his staff. But there's talent here. There's no question about it. Chris Solari, Michigan State football writer for the Detroit Free Press. Chris, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll see you out here in September. Sounds great, guys. Be safe and stay well. That's Chris Solari covering Michigan State football for the Detroit Free Press. When we come back, Andy Greeter covers the Minnesota Golden Gophers for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Time for the spring football tour to continue. Andy Greeter joins us. He covers the Minnesota Golden Gophers for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. And he joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Andy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Uh, I'm a little curious here as uh, as we talk to you about Minnesota. Minnesota showing up on uh, BYU's schedule here. I'm curious because Minnesota has had periods where they've been really bad, and they've had periods where you know, they've been pretty good. Eh, bowl team, seven wins or whatever, headed off to a bowl game, but 11 and two is off the charts. Now, is there this notion that that is sustainable? Is that something that's viewed as a once every three year peak? How good is Minnesota supposed to be year in and year out now that they've gotten to this level? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think uh, uh, what's different here is is having P.J. Fleck. Um, they've shown improvement uh, in each of their three years, and that's what P.J. did at Western Michigan as well. Yeah, I think the big question is, is can they sustain it? You know, they had a lot of returning production. I think they were 10th. Uh, in the nation in returning production last year and, and really benefited from that experience. Now, going forward, they have offensive playmakers that BYU is going to have to be uh, concerned about in, in Rashad Bateman, who is the Big Ten Receiver of the Year, a guy who's being looked at as a potential top ten pick in next year's NFL draft. Uh, he's going to be a handful for everybody, uh, but he loses uh, his running mate, Tyler Johnson, who went in the fifth round out of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, they've got an all-conference quarterback, second-team guy behind Justin Fields at Ohio State and, and Tanner Morgan. Uh, they've got a 1,000-yard running back in Mo Ibrahim. They've got their entire offensive line back, uh, an offensive line that on average is, is bigger than the Vikings. Uh, so they've got nine offensive starters returning. So it looks like on that side of the ball, uh, albeit with a new offensive coordinator, things should be able to click there. Uh, defensively is where the bigger questions are. They've only got four returning starters back. They lose their 
you know, unanimous All-American Antoine Winfield Jr., who went in the second round, also the Tampa Bay. Uh, so there's a lot of holes on defense that, that uh, Joe Rossi, who has shown himself to be a capable uh, defensive coordinator in his two-plus years in that role, is really going to have his hands full uh, to be able to reload there. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of an open question, uh, and defense is going to be the bigger question mark going forward. Well, reading some stuff on Minnesota, Fleck thinks Tanner Morgan can be the next Craig Curry. Now, who do you ask? Is Craig Curry? Well, he was the last Minnesota quarterback drafted by the NFL in 1972. Morgan is an overly big guy, but he was fourth in the nation in passing efficiency. So is he that good to be an NFL draft pick? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because uh, last year at this time, uh, he was the backup. Um, he uh, had lost the job in camp to, to Zach Anikstead, a, a bigger, maybe more polished-looking quarterback uh, from IMG Academy, a guy who has Minnesota ties but went to you know a, a school that a lot of people know of as, as a football uh, factory. Uh, so he uh, had lost the job uh, to him in camp, but when Zach got hurt, uh, Tanner stepped in and, and won a lot of games down the stretch for the Gophers. Uh, in 2018, and then Zach Anikstead got hurt again. He was also looked at as the as the likely starter, and, and Tanner Morgan came in again and uh, led the Gophers in an 11 and two season. <clears throat> yeah, he's uh, he's not the biggest guy. Um, you know, I would I would imagine probably barely six feet tall. Um, doesn't have the strongest arm, but is incredibly accurate, uh, incredibly smart. Uh, gets the ball in the right spots. Uh, he doesn't turn it over. Uh, and is, was incredibly prolific last year, 3,000 yards passing, uh, 30 uh, passing touchdowns. Yeah, just a, a, a surprise in a sense, uh, but a guy who's done it over a year and a half now, so uh, he has a track record there. And he's looked at as a top-five quarterback uh, by Mel Kuyper in next year's draft, and he was uh, entering the Heisman Trophy conversation at the end of last year and, and uh, you know, incredibly humble kid and, and looks at all of these things as – as kind of uh, uh, you know revelations to himself as well, but uh, yeah, he's the established guy now. He might not be the the Justin Herbert type that you know just looks like a pro type quarterback, uh, but his production speaks for itself. I'm intrigued by this notion of Minnesota backing up one really big season with another big season, and they lose Rodney Smith. And okay, he's a leading running back, right? Mm-hmm. And he's 1100 yard guy. Mm-hmm. Behind him, they got Ibrahim and Brooks who combined for 1,000 yards rushing. How does Minnesota get running backs out of Maryland and Georgia? Is there a backstory? Are there connections there? That, that isn't the first thing I would have assumed. I wouldn't have assumed there's that much depth at running back, and I wouldn't assume they're recruiting nationally like that. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Yeah, they've, they've plucked a few guys uh, out of Maryland, uh, but it's certainly not something that they do often. Uh, Mo Ibrahim uh, had 1,000 yards uh, in 2018 when – when uh, Smith was injured and, and Brooks, who's also a senior and gone, uh, was injured. So Ibrahim has, has shown to be uh, capable as a number one running back. Uh, the Gophers like to have a, a stable of running backs uh, just because they, they want to be balanced and they want to have fresh running backs uh, coming at opponents in the third and fourth quarters. Uh, yeah, I mean, the depth behind Bo Ibrahim uh, is going to be a question mark. Uh, you know, speaking of of uh, national recruiting, they've got Cam Wiley, uh, who uh, is you know probably six three, two hundred and fifteen pounds, and they got him out of Nevada. 
uh, again, another spot that the, the Gophers uh, typically are recruiting and getting people from from Pac-12 and, and Western schools. Uh, so yeah, there is a, a little bit of a national recruiting uh, sense now, but they're also you know really focusing on the Midwest. You know, in this recruiting class, uh, they've got a four-star running back uh, from the Chicago area. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting. He won't be in uh, here until the 2021 class. They've got a the Kansas uh, the Gatorade Player of the Year uh, coming from Kansas and, and Kai Thomas, uh, who could be looked at as a guy who could play right away. So again, yeah, another question mark is is where does that stable of running backs come from behind Ibrahim? So we talk a lot about the offense, and it looks like they'll be loaded there defensively, particularly, well, a couple positions, but I'll start with the linebacker. They lose Martin and Coughlin, both NFL draft picks. How are they going to reload there? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, Carter Coughlin is more of a, of a rush end, but, yeah, he's, you know, their most, uh, you know, worrying uh, pass rusher, and he was taken by the Giants in the seventh round. Uh, so they're going to have to fill him in. He was a Minnesota kid. Uh, and they've got another guy who they feel like is is a freak that didn't have a lot of chances uh, behind Coughlin and Boye Mafe. Uh, so we'll see what he can do with the, with a bigger role. Uh, yeah, they lost uh, Thomas Barber. Uh, you probably know his older brothers and and uh, Marion Barber, who played a long time uh, for the Cowboys, and Don Barber, who played for the Texans and some other teams. Uh, he was their middle linebacker. He was a leading tackler. Uh, he got them lined up right. Uh, he has also gone. Uh, Kamal Martin, uh, he was an outside linebacker, a freak-looking uh, athlete. He uh, went, I think, in the fifth round to the Packers. Uh, so those guys are all gone. All of those guys are Minnesota guys, uh, and they're going to have to replace them as well. Yeah, they got uh, uh, Mariano Sori Marin, uh, who played all three linebacker spots in a backup role last year. Uh, he's going to step into the mic role, and, and they're confident that he can uh, fill the need there. Uh, Braylon Oliver uh, came in in, in blitzing packages last year and and uh, really wreaked some havoc, uh, especially against Iowa. And uh, he's going to have a bigger role now this year. So yeah, I mean, like we talked about at the start of this, you know, defensively, uh, they're going to need some guys to step up. But it's not guys that have never played Big Ten football before. It's guys that have had limited roles and success in those limited roles, and now in a in a bigger uh, role are they going to be able to to keep it up and uh, keep that level where they were? I mean, the biggest question mark is what they do with Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, and the production that he had. He was their leading tackler. He had seven interceptions. He saved the Gophers on a few occasions. Uh, just a, a guy with the pedigree of his dad, who was an All Pro, um, and Antoine Winfield, who played for the Bills and for the Vikings for a long time, uh, and that's how he ended up in Minnesota. He spent most of his childhood here um, in Eden Prairie, and uh, they've got Tyler Newbin, who's a four-star recruit out of Illinois, uh, who played mostly special teams last year. Uh, you know, playing special teams and going to, uh, to a starting free safety role are, are two different things. Uh, so that's probably the biggest question mark is they've got a highly uh, lauded guy uh, in Tyler Newbin, uh, but he has played very little safety uh, in impact situations. So that's going to be the biggest question mark. Andy Greeter joining us. He covers the Minnesota Golden Gophers for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. And BYU goes to Minnesota September 26th, fourth game of the year. Uh, I'm curious here with the Gophers. Five guys drafted. That's a, that's a school record. Uh, how many more 
NFL quality guys are scattered across the roster, what, whether it's in the draft this year or, or maybe in two years, but guys who will be playing at a high level in this coming season? Yeah, I think there's a handful. I think five uh, is probably going to remain the record uh, going forward here, at least in the short term. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I mentioned uh, Rashad Bateman. Um, he was a, uh, a basketball player in southern Georgia uh, who the Gophers saw at a camp. And he wanted to play football and uh, um, committed to the Gophers before he had a great senior season and before SEC schools came after him, uh, including Kirby Smart, who tried to swoop in late. Uh, but Rashad Bateman honored his commitment and, and, uh, and came to Minnesota instead of going to, to Georgia. So that was a huge a recruiting win. <clears throat> He's by far their most talented player. He's by far their most likely uh, NFL star coming out. They haven't had a first-round pick. Uh, since Lawrence Maroney in uh, 2006. So, yeah, this isn't a, a program like you guys talked about that is known for success, that is known for high-level type talent. But I think we've seen that start to change under P.J. Fleck. And, you know, we'll see more guys uh, get drafted routinely. You know, they had five guys drafted this year. I think they had four uh, guys drafted in the previous four years combined. Uh, so uh, there is more talent coming onto this team. You know, I just look at this. This current recruiting class this obviously won't factor in uh, to this fall, but they've got five four-star guys in this recruiting class. You know they might get one or two uh, in a in a in a given recruiting year, uh, and you're seeing more talent come into Minnesota, and that that usually translates uh, into talent on the field and guys that can play on Sundays. So uh, we're seeing more of it. We're seeing a little bit more uh, depth. Guys like like I said, Tyler Newbin, a four-star safety. Uh, who can fill in for Winfield, and you're like you feel a little bit more confident in that, just knowing that he was one of the top players in a in a you know state that has talent like Illinois. So uh, we're seeing more of it. Just a matter of of keeping and maintaining that line because when PJ was at Western Michigan, you know they were terrible his first year, one and eleven. Uh, were good the next two at eight and five, and then they peaked uh, the thirteen and one, and PJ left for Minnesota. So this is the first time. Uh, that Fleck is going to have to maintain uh, taking a team uh, to a top level and uh, the challenges that come with that. So this is a, a, a new thing that he's going to have to face, and, and BYU and, and all Gopher fans and everyone uh, is going to be watching to see if they can get it done. So what makes Fleck as good as he is? Uh, I think he's, you know, he's, he's obviously looked at as a salesman. Uh, you know, he's got the row the boat mantra and, and uh, he gets ridiculed uh, for that often. He's very outspoken. He's not afraid to, to talk. Um, he's, he's good because if uh, players uh, buy into that, and we saw that last year, and we saw that pretty much throughout his time at Minnesota, he gets guys to play really, really hard for him. I know that might sound generic, uh, but that is something that matters uh, week in and week out. Uh, he's, he leads with the salesman uh, angle, uh, but I think he's shown more and more uh, that he uh, is detail-oriented. The Gophers do not get penalized. Uh, the Gophers very rarely turn the ball over. Uh, they're very disciplined, and I think we see that in practices. You know, it's, it's all uh, very meticulous. Uh, so it's not just the, the rah-rah. It's not just the row the boat. It's not just the salesmanship. It's <clears throat> drilling down and doing the important details uh, on a daily basis. So those are some of the reasons why, you know, PJ is, 
has been, you know, the coach of the year uh, in the Big Ten here this last year and, and was a coach of the year in the MAC as well. And why he got a seven-year extension in Minnesota because uh, the proof is is uh, in the results. Has he been able to keep his coaching staff together, or has there been some turnover there? Yeah, there has been uh, some turnover, and some of that is because he's gotten good coaches. You know, Ed Warner, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, was uh, at Notre Dame and and uh, came in here. Maurice Lindquist, uh, who's now with the Cowboys, uh, those guys have moved on. Bryce Pop, uh, obviously, that name uh, rings a bell. Those guys have have moved on. Um, but, uh, you know, Kirk Scirocco was his longtime offensive coordinator, a guy who came over from Western Michigan and had been with them for seven or eight years. Uh, and now he left uh, to become the offensive coordinator at Penn State, which is his home state school. Uh, so there is some transition there. Um, and Mike Sanford Jr. comes in, uh, another uh, offensive coordinator from uh, Notre Dame, who, you know, cut his teeth as a, as a head coach at Western Kentucky. Things didn't go very well there. Uh, but, you know, has been at Stanford and, and Utah State. Uh, you guys know him a, a little bit with his one year with Jordan Love there. Um, so, yeah, there's been some turnover. You know, there was a, a rocky point in P.J. Flex uh, second year when the defense couldn't stop anybody, and he had to fire a defensive coordinator and, and promote Joe Rossi, and, and Rossi's done a good job since. So, you know, it's been interesting. You know, there's always going to be turnover uh, in the coaching ranks, but I think Minnesota fans – uh, got a little familiar with how, you know, Jerry Kill kept almost the exact same staff for his entire tenure at Minnesota, and you know that's just not very uh, normal to see. Uh, and PJ has, has gotten a lot of young coaches, a lot of aspirational coaches, and, and those guys have have moved up uh, as well as moved back to uh, home connections. So there has been some turnover, but you know for the most part, it's it's uh, it's been consistent. Uh, there's been some position groups where it's been a new position coach uh, every year, and I think there needs to be more stability than that. But, you know, there's there's going to be turnover uh, wherever you go. Andy, thanks for the overview of the Golden Gopher program. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming on for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. There's Andy Greeter, covers the Minnesota Golden Gophers for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. The spring football tour continues next. We're headed to Stanford. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by RJ Abadia, Stanford Football Insider for the bootleg.com. Part of the 24-7 Sports Network. RJ, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We are doing well. We are doing well. Spring football tour continuing. We didn't think Stanford was going to be playing Utah, but you know what? If everybody's playing everybody in the conference, maybe they will play. So let's get right to it. Stanford had this glorious run, multiple Rose Bowls, Orange, Fiesta mixed in. But the last four years have looked a little different. Sun Bowl, that kind of stuff. And then a 4-8, and eight, no bowl. Is this, 
Is this a program trending in the wrong direction, or is it a program rocked by injuries and underestimate them at your own risk? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I think you could make arguments for basically all the things that you just said. I mean, obviously, when you're talking about the David Shaw era, we are in uncharted waters coming off of 4-8 and eight season. The 4-8 and eight season itself was uncharted waters, and it's it would be wrong to to ignore the fact that injuries obviously had a lot to do with it. But I think, as you said, when you look at the, when you take kind of a, a wider lens approach and you look at the last four years, there's no question that the, the, the level of football has, has decreased. It is not what it was um, back in 2015, which was Stanford's last Pac-12 championship. Um, and they just haven't, for a lot of reasons, they haven't been where they were at the start of this decade. And there were going to be questions surrounding this team regardless coming into this year. And when you add the complications of the shutdown and the pandemic, um, I think this is one of those nobody-knows-anything situations in terms of where Stanford football is right now and where they're going in, the, in a hypothetical 2020 season. We do know that Costello is gone, took off to join Leach down there in Mississippi, and so Mills is the guy who had the experience. Is he the guy who's going to be firmly entrenched as the starting quarterback? Without question. Um, I think Davis Mills has had a very, very unfortunate um, college career, pretty much marked with injury every season that he's played. He got to play the most last year um and you know that was obviously as splitting time with kj costello as qb1 as each guy was kind of injured or 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 healthy and um you know i think people forget he was the top rated quarterback coming out of his uh, his class a class that included uh tua tangavaloa and jake Fromm, and so you know, when he has been healthy, the talent and the five-star rating that he brought to Stanford have been on display. And the problem has been he has just not been healthy. But with K.J. Costello moving on, as you said, the deck has been cleared. Um, Tanner McKee, uh, who is their big 18 signee, is back from his LDS mission. Um, but obviously he hasn't played football in two years. So really, it's Davis Mills' show Um for Stanford this year. So Stanford during the during the glory days uh, arguably could have had a Heisman Trophy winning running back or two. Uh, Cameron Scarlett's on to the NFL, 840 yards, not a staggering number by any means, but he was a leading rusher and nobody else was over 300. What's What does it look like at running back for Stanford? Well, it's really interesting because I think, you know, when you look back at some of those, those glory years for Stanford, the 20... 20- 10, 29 through 2015, you know, it was it was a run-first offense, and it was a run-first offense that people really appreciated because of the surface-level simplicity, right? I think everyone can kind of just see that pulling guard for Stanford, that handoff, you know, that, that kind of singular play. And David Shaw has been open about the fact that they're kind of searching for a run scheme at this point. They don't really know for sure 
what their run game is even supposed to look like right now. And that was obviously something they were hoping to address in spring ball. Now, as far as personnel, there is some talent. Um, Austin Jones was a four-star running back who was a freshman last year and, uh, and flashed some really good, some really good talent as well as Nathaniel Pete, who was a freshman last year as well. He's more of, you know, you hate to throw the name around, but as far as like what is he like he's more of a Bryce Love type player kind of an explosive elusive kind of guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield do a lot of things in a lot of different ways um, Austin Jones is a very athletic guy in his own right but more of like a workhorse back who you'd expect to see doing the stuff in between the tackles so there is talent and you know Stanford's offensive line returns um, Walker Little who was a preseason All-America left tackle, who is expected to be in the NFL draft now, but was lost for last season. And so he's decided to come back. And so Stanford had a lot of instability on the offensive line. They're looking for that to be something that does not happen this year. And if that is the case, they're looking to get back to being the kind of team that they've been in, in the better years. Yeah, as I look at, I don't want to say demise, but maybe decline is more an accurate phrase of Stanford football relative to where it's been. I think that, correct me if I'm wrong because you're closer to the situation than I am, but I think that the number one issue from when they were really good to where they are now has been issues, whether they be injuries or what have you, along the offensive line. I don't think there's any question. Um I think that's, that's absolutely the case. Um, there has been a transition in offensive line coach. Uh, Mike Bloomgren, who is now the head coach at Rice, moved on two seasons ago, and Kevin Carberry has taken over. And honestly, in fairness to him, he has not had a full deck to deal with really at any point in, in his time at Stanford. And, you know, you're talking about a team last year that, had as many as three freshmen starting um, and freshmen who were not intended to be first-year contributors kind of just thrown into the fire. And that's a, a, a far cry removed from what Stanford had been, which is, you know, you get it rolling and you're replacing juniors and seniors with juniors and seniors. And that makes a big difference, obviously, on the offensive line. And there's just been no kind of continuity, I think, I'm trying to get it right off the top of my head, but I think they had at least at least six or seven different starting combinations at offensive line in 12 games last year. And you guys know, you know, continuity is so huge there, and that's just no way to have a run game going. And you're right. If you look at the decline, it's not hard to draw a line from the overall decline to the decline of the run game to the decline of the offensive line and the inability to have any continuity there. So, RJ, uh, Simi Fajoko is one of the Utah kids on the roster, and it looked like as the season progressed, he just emerged as a consistent, deep threat. Is he going to be able to make a lot of these big plays, or is he actually going to be a marked guy and really going to have to evolve as a receiver? Well, I think he'll be more involved um, in terms of the root tree and the offense and what they do with him. I think one of the big areas of focus in the first session of spring ball that they were able to, to kind of get in was this idea of having all the receivers being able to do 
all the things so that they don't get marked as just, okay, this is where this guy lines up and this is what he runs. And the good news is, is that Stanford, if there is a position where they do have the most depth and the most talent right now, it's that wide receiver. They've got a lot of good players um, at that position group, arguably more good players than they've ever had. So I would expect Simi to be able to do a lot more and expand on what he showed last year, but I also don't think there's any question that his big play talent is something that they're going to want to exploit if they're going to have the season that they think they can have. One of the consistents for Stanford uh, along the years or through the years has been great tight end play. Kobe Parkinson gets drafted this past season. I think that's the third tight end in the last, what, four or five years who's been drafted. Uh, I think Scooter Harrington is next up. Is he going to be that NFL guy and following the tradition? I don't know exactly where Stanford goes with tight end at the moment for this year. I think as, as you move forward, They've got a couple guys coming in this year as freshmen, uh, Lucas Unger out of New Jersey and Ben Urasek out of Bakersfield, California, who I think are very much in the role and in the mold of, of those Stanford tight ends that you've seen in the past. Um, Scooter Harrington is a guy who's going to get his shot this year, that's for sure. And he's a guy who's he's a veteran. He's very familiar with the offense. They haven't utilized him in the same way that they've utilized a Colby Parkinson or a Caden Smith or Dalton Schultz, another Utah guy. Um, so it'll be interesting because I think the talent skews towards the wide receivers. And so I don't know that we're going to see as many of those two and three tight end sets that you're used to seeing out of Stanford. Um, but we'll see. It, you know, it, it all remains to be seen. There's just so many questions with this football team, even above and beyond the questions that all football teams are facing in these uncertain times. So we keep mentioning Utah guys here. Is there like a giggle, a squint, a kind of bizarre look when someone they find out someone's from Utah? Or now is it just accepted like, yeah, there's a lot of Utah guys on the team. Of course there are. So what? Next? No, it's, I think it's absolutely the latter. I think um, – Defensive coordinator Lance Anderson is obviously someone with a great deal of familiarity with the state, and Stanford has hit that state hard um, since they've been there. And there's talent. There's real talent there, as you guys know, just in the names that you've, that you've already mentioned. And it's become a place where, first of all, for just Utah players, but obviously you know a lot of players from that state, um, they take LDS missions. And Stanford has has made itself a very viable and attractive option for players of that faith. Um, and so there are guys, uh, Houston Haimuli is a fullback on the team, um, Simi Fahoko that you mentioned already, and, um, you know, they've had a good, they've got guys, and, and that pipeline's legit at this point. And I think, you know, they, they work the area very hard. Um, Lance Anderson is, like I said, he's the D coordinator, but he's also the recruiting director on staff. So, you know, that, that state gets its due attention. And Stanford has built um, a nice little slice of the roster with Utah players. I look at defense, and, and, and I'm not sure how the depth chart is going to play out. But I can see possibly only three senior starters. Yeah, I think there's a lot. There are a lot of questions about the Stanford defense. Obviously, there was some slippage last year, um, to put it mildly, and 
there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, people made a big deal about the amount of players that Stanford had in the transfer portal, but really it was more about some of the specific guys, and I'm thinking mainly of um, Mike Williams and Jovan Swan, who were scheduled to be starters and first-line guys on the defensive line. And they have left Stanford with a lot of question marks up front. And that's an area where Stanford in their best teams has typically excelled. And now there are real question marks. I think the defensive line has question marks. Um, inside linebacker has some guys that you haven't heard a lot about that you're probably going to. Um, Ricky Miazon, Jacob Mangum Farrar, Tristan Sinclair. Um, those are some really talented young inside linebackers who I think are going to help upgrade that position. Um, and then the secondary the safety battle um, is kind of unclear who's going to step up and, and take that job over as well. Malik Antoine returns as a fifth year, so he's likely entrenched at free safety, but there's a battle at strong safety. And so if you're talking about, you know, name guys, really Paulson Adebo, another kind of preseason All-America guy from last year who had his season cut short from injury and decided to come back is really the household name, but he's a cornerback. And so Stanford has some issues that they've got to address on the front seven. And, yeah, it, the, the depth chart this year on defense could and I think should be vastly different than it was from last season. So I look at last year and I see four games where they gave up 45 points or more, and you see losses to teams that people think of as the bottom half of the league. Uh, you know, Colorado and UCLA. And uh, I mean, there are just some games here that aren't, that are just brutal. So it, it feels like there is a lot of ground to recover for Stanford. I think there is. I mean, I think when you look at the, the, the pillars of, of their best teams and the identity and, and those things, like we've already touched on, was uh, an elite offensive line, a defense that adapts and adjusts in the second half and shuts teams down at the end of ball games. Um, defense that doesn't give up big plays. An offense that kind of controls the ball and can hurt you with the run game and off-play action. When you think of all those kind of hallmarks, it's all kind of gone away. And Stanford is, to a large extent, building from the ground up. And we don't know at this point exactly what they're building it doesn't really seem like when you look at their personnel right now that the model is the vintage Stanford team that they're going to win with a bunch of really big strong physical guys up front on both sides of the ball and they're going to they're going to run the ball and and get real tight and have two three tight ends and 14 different offensive linemen on the field I don't know that that's the image so I don't know that anyone really knows the path getting back to being good and that's just one of the more fascinating aspects is there's there's still talent on this roster but the nature of it suggests that if Stanford gets back to being good they're probably not going to look like what you expect them to look like RJ we appreciate this little slump quote one more thing Uh, there's been a lot of talk of David Shaw going to the NFL has this quelled uh, some of the talk since they've slipped a little bit? I think so. I also don't know how seriously how serious that ever was. I have no doubt that coming off the Rose Bowls and the success, 
he's had overtures from NFL teams, but I think as time moves on, it seems pretty clear that he is entrenched with Stanford, and Stanford, to a large extent, is very entrenched um, with him. Um, he would not confirm it, and Stanford does not comment on contracts publicly, but we've gotten word that you know, he signed a pretty big extension this season, this past season. Um, so, yeah, I think in terms of a flight risk, I would not consider him very high up um, as an area of concern at this point. RJ, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us and talking a little uh, Stanford football here on our spring tour. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. There's R.J. Abedia covering the Stanford football program for TheBootleg.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. When we come back, what is trending? Headlines are on the way.